Welcome to the Exploress. Time traveling through history, one era at a time. I'm Kate Armstrong. In this holiday season, I'm releasing some bonus episodes that until now have only been available to patrons of the show. Consider it my present to you for being such excellent listeners. Thanks for making me a part of your lives in 2021. Now, grab a pen and some definite opinions. Let's go traveling. This episode is brought to you by my patrons, and I'm going to thank some of them now. My newest pirate queen, Anne. My newest lady president, Catherine. My boss ladies, Terry, Amy, Annabelle, Bethany, Bronwyn, Elizabeth, Grace, Kara, Michelle, Monique, Nuria, Rebecca, Sarah, Tanya, Jessica, Sophie, and Julian. My newest adventuress, Megan, and Emily, Anna, Carlos, Helena, Iris, Jessica, Amber, Joe Marie, Kelly, Phil, Sophie, Stephanie C., and Stephanie F. My warrior queens, Alexis, Kate, June, Lori, and Avery. My imperial empresses, Sumera, Katie, and Faye, and Whimsy Soapworks. And my lady pharaohs, the three divine Courtney's. Patrons really help me keep the show going, but they also get access to exclusive bonuses like this one, as well as Q&As, sneak peeks, interviews with guests, early access to all episodes, cool contests, and more. To find out all about it, just go to my website. This What She Wore minisode is not about something we put on our bodies, but it's something that we wear in another sense every day. It appears on paperwork and applications, bills and signatures. It's something we use ourselves, but also hear from other people, and it helps define how they might see us in the world. And I'd wager that most of you have definite opinions about it. Those honorific titles, Mrs., Miss, and Ms. I know I do. When I married Mr. Exploress, I felt sure that I had no interest in being a Mrs., I didn't want to be identified by whether or not I was married and felt it wasn't anyone's business anyway. And that's why these titles came into being, isn't it? As a way of defining them by their marital status, sometimes reducing them to a man's name. Perhaps now, but not always. It turns out that my notions about the history of these titles wasn't really right at all. This minisode is dedicated to my friend Claire, who sent me a special section of the Times a while back that sent me running down this particular rabbit hole. If you have any ideas for future minisodes, you know I'm always happy to hear them. So let's start here. What does Mrs. even stand for? It turns out that the titles Mrs. and Miss both stem from the same root word, mistress. It's meant as the equivalent term to mister, which turns out isn't short for mister at all, but master. In the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries, and even before, both terms were meant not to shout out your marital status, but to let people know how skilled and important you were. But of course, the word has meant other things too. In his 18th century dictionary, Samuel Johnson gives us this definition of the word mistress. One, a woman who governs, correlative to subject or servant. Two, a woman skilled in anything. Three, a woman teacher. Four, a woman beloved and courted. Five, a term of contemptuous address. 
and six, a whore or concubine. I could see that leading to a certain level of confusion. It turns out that a lot of the terms we use to indicate a lady can mean either an upstanding person or, as dear old Samuel put it, a whore. Dame, madam, and hussy, which is actually derived from the Middle English word for housewife. Who knew? As the Lord Braybrook wrote in 1855 in reference to Samuel Pepys' diary, It is worthy of remark that the fair sex may justly complain of almost every word in the English language designating a female having, at some time or another, been used as a term of reproach. For we find mother, madam, mistress, and miss all denoting women of bad character. Meanwhile, Nathan Bailey's New Universal Etymological English Dictionary from 1756 defined a mistress as a whore of quality. Isn't it always the way? Mrs. and Miss were both used primarily by high society ladies in the Western world. Mrs. was used to indicate that someone had a staff or was a manager of something. So Mrs. was meant to mark a person out as a businesswoman, not a married woman. Plenty of single ladies in charge of a staff, household, or business used the term, which confused and bamboozled many a historian studying eras from 1500 onward. They were misses, and their male counterparts were misters, all masters and mistresses of their particular trade. Take 18th-century Englishwoman Eleanor Code, who definitely deserves her own minisode. She ran a ceramics factory on the Thames in the 1760s, inventing a material called codestone and creating artworks that still ornament London today. She was known as Mrs. Code, even though she never married, because that was the title used for a businesswoman. The end. Before the 19th century, many women didn't have a prefix before their names. Those who did were usually of higher social status. The lady of a fancy house was invariably called Mrs. So-and-so because she ran a household and managed staff, while the scullery maid just went by Jane. That said, sometimes a high-status servant would go by Mrs. Take Mrs. Hughes, the head housekeeper in Downton Abbey, who wasn't married for much of the show. Miss, as in M-I-S-S, -S, is almost as old as Mrs., but it was always used to mark a woman as unmarried. Until the 18th century, it was only used for young girls, just like master was only used for boys, something that hasn't made it into our modern-day lexicon. Once they came into adulthood, they became a Mrs. In those times, referring to a grown woman as Miss was basically calling her a prostitute. I refer you back to Dr. Johnson, who defines miss as a term of honor to a young girl, or as a whore. But in the early to mid-1800s, so really the same era that understood the term to mean a woman of loose morals, miss became popular for socially ambitious single ladies who wanted some way to prove their gentility. A way to make sure everyone's clear on how they aren't just businesswomen or some servant head of house. They're ladies. They might have been inspired by the many popular novels of the 1740s, which often refer to unmarried ladies of good breeding as M-I-S-S -S misses and upper unmarried servants as M-R-S misses. It would be nice to think these ladies were reclaiming the term, taking miss back and making it an expression of their own agency. But it seems more likely it was once again about class, and, perhaps, signaling one singlehood for those eligible bachelors who might be wondering. And so this is when we start seeing marital status enter the fray, which is no small matter. 
unmarried women continued to go by Mrs. into the 19th century, though not as often. And as professor and historian Amy Louise Erickson put it in her paper on this subject, The introduction of a marker on the basis of marital status overlaid the previous marker whose basis was social status, and that shift would have enormous impact on social perceptions of women for the next 250 years. We don't really know how mistress turned into missus, but it doesn't seem like it happened until the 18th century. The evolution of language is a tricksy kind of thing. But we do know that the abbreviation missus didn't firmly attach itself to signifying a married woman until around 1900. And with it came a peculiar custom, a woman being addressed by her husband's full name, a phenomenon rather charmingly called Mrs. Man. An early example is Mrs. John Dashwood in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, published in 1811. Austen was using it to show whom amongst the gaggle of Dashwood ladies was whom and which had social seniority, but by 1900 it was a title pretty much all married women claimed. Again, this seems to have been primarily a class thing. After all, with so many shop owners and heads of houses going around as Mrs., surely the upper cross needed some way to differentiate. England seems to be the only country in Europe where this was happening on a large scale, but of course it finds its way to America before long. Starting in the Victorian age, many a high society lady was known by Mrs. and her husband's full name. The New York Times had a long-standing habit of doing this in print. In an article published in 2020, its writers poured through old NYT files and found that women like June Carter Cash, Coretta Scott King, and Frida Kahlo were routinely written about with the titles Mrs. Johnny Cash, Mrs. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., and Mrs. Diego Rivera. Amelia Earhart, for one, was annoyed by this and wrote to tell them so in 1932. She asked that they use her professional name, please and thank you. Despite the mild expression of my wishes, I am constantly referred to as Mrs. Putnam when the Times mentions me in its columns. She wrote, I believe flyers should be permitted the same privileges as writers or actresses. We often think, and I'm guilty of having believed this, that this whole thing is designed by men to subjugate women, burying their individual identity under their name. But that isn't actually true. It wasn't long before people started challenging the notion, as early as the 1840s at, you guessed it, the Women's Rights Convention held in Seneca Falls, New York, which I touched on in our Silent No More episode. I cannot imagine Elizabeth Cady Stanton being down with being called by her husband's full name. But still, the practice hung around in certain circles for a very long time. I've been to a couple of weddings where the couple was announced to the crowd as Mr. and Mrs., man's full name. And if that's your thing, you do you, ladies, but it's something that always confused me. Of course, there have always been varying opinions on all of this. While some women wanted their full and proper names used, others didn't like it at all. In 1953, poet Kathleen Raine made it clear in a newspaper that people were using her first name way too freely, and she'd prefer it if they'd just go with Miss Raine. One William Empson didn't think honorifics were polite at all, and they were often confusing. I do not know whether she is married, single, resuming her maiden name after a separation, or simply offering a pen name, and it is not my business to inquire, he wrote. What would be presumptuous would be a demand to know before even addressing her whether she is Mrs. or Miss. Fair enough, William. 
So what about Ms. Ms.? We tend to associate the title with women like Gloria Steinem and radical feminism, but that is not where it began. In the November 10, 1901 edition of a paper called The Sunday Republican of Massachusetts, an anonymous writer gave us this notion. There is a void in the English language which, with some diffidence, we undertake to fill. Everyone has been put in an embarrassing position by ignorance of the status of some woman. To call a maiden Mrs. is only a shade worse than to insult a matron with the inferior title Miss. Yet it is not always easy to know the facts. How to avoid such an awkward social misstep? The writer suggests a more comprehensive term which does homage to the sex without expressing any views as to their domestic situation. They suggested the neat, simple Ms. as a practical solution, pronounced M-I-Z-Z, -Z, so it would slot in nicely with the other honorifics. The article did the rounds in some dinner conversations for a few weeks, but then Ms. just sort of hangs out in the shadows for a few decades. We see it crop up again in 1932, when a New York Times letter writer wondered if, when one's in doubt about someone's marital situation, it might be prudent to address them as M-apostrophe-S or Ms. It continued to be suggested as a solution in the workplace to avoid offending a secretary by calling her the wrong honorific. Heaven forfend we insult a married woman by calling her by the degrading Miss. But then, in 1961, 22-year-old civil rights activist Sheila Michaels saw it on her roommate's mail, and she kind of fell in love with it. She started telling everyone who would listen what a great feminist alternative to Miss and Mrs. it was. It was slow to take off, until a radio interview in 1969 on a program called Womankind, where she made a public plea for Ms. The following August, during a celebration of the 50th anniversary of suffrage, Ms. became the feminist go-to in America. Gloria Steinem would go on to name her iconic feminist magazine Ms. Personally, she wrote, I'm all in favor of the new form and will put it on all letters and documents. But pronunciation continued to be a problem. As Steinem later said, How the hell do you pronounce M.S.? Some people throw shade at Ms. because it supposedly doesn't mean anything. But it's got a long history of its own, as one of several abbreviations for mistress from the 17th and 18th centuries. So really, it's a throwback, but now anyone who wants to can use it. So no matter what you go by, Miss, Mrs., Ms., none of the above, you can be sure that none of them were born out of the need to define a woman by her relationship status. They were meant to tell the world that we had power. Thanks for listening. If you liked this bonus, you may want to consider becoming a patron of the show. Your few dollars a month go an incredibly long way in helping me to keep the show going. And you'll find dozens of bonus episodes to enjoy over on the Explorers Patreon, about everything from life for women in ancient Persia to a deep dive into the history of high heels. There are other ways to support the show, too. Tell a friend about it, leave a review wherever you listen, talk about it on social media, or go explore my website, theexplorespodcast.com. Thanks, as always, to Mr. Explores for my theme music and logo, and to you, my lovely listeners. <laughs>